Hello, this is Isaac Childress, and you're listening to Bored Chitless. Tonight's episode of Bored Chitless is sponsored by The Game Steward. The Game Steward is an online game store offering Kickstarter board games out of print and imported games at reasonable prices. It's time to play. Today's guest on Board Chitless is the legendary board game designer Isaac Childress, whose magnum opus Gloomhaven was a phenomenon on Kickstarter. Uh, since Gloomhaven landed, it's become the number one game of all time on Board Game Geek, where it's dominated the hotness continually and garnered rave reviews from critics and gamers alike. The accolades are well-deserved, of course. The game is excellent and a remarkable logistical achievement too, with the box weighing in at a postman bending 22 kilos. But not only is Isaac a leading game designer, the reason I asked him on the show is because he's an all-round nice guy too. During my own Kickstarter launch, Isaac reached out with some friendly tips and useful advice on how to improve the campaign and better my chances of success. And after meeting him at Essen... Uh, well, he just seemed like a lovely chap, and so I thought I'd ask him on, and he agreed to come and chat with us. So, um, Isaac's game Gloomhaven is a board game behemoth in every sense, which raised a jaw-dropping $4 million on Kickstarter. So, Isaac, what's it like to drive a Lamborghini made out of gold? <laughs> I I wouldn't know. <laughs> but it sounds, sounds like it'd be fun. I don't know, I, I'd be... I'd be deathly afraid of, of like denting it or something. <laughs> well, seriously, strictly speaking, Gloomhaven wasn't an overnight success, was it? Because you've been putting in the legwork as a game designer for a long time. You've got lots of experience with games like Forge War under your belt. So could you tell us a little bit how you got started in game design originally? Can you give us some background about your interests and, uh, and what led you to board game design in general? Uh, sure, yeah. So, um, I don't know, just... just playing board games and really enjoying them and uh, sort of having a, a creative drive to, you know, take the next step and try and design something of my own was really uh, where I got started. Um, really, maybe uh, six or so years ago, you know, I started regularly attending a, a board game group um, that met every week. And so that's really when I got to really get into the hobby and, and, you know, try all the new hotness and everything and, and just play, you know, a different game every week and sort of get, you know, fully exposed to how, how big and how, uh, diverse and interesting the hobby is. Um, and you know, I thought, I felt like I had something to contribute to it. So yeah, I started designing games. Absolutely. And was there a particular game that got you started that you started tinkering with maybe and changing the rules up a little bit? Was the was the one that captured your imagination in the first place that you thought, hey, you know, if I if I change this up, I can add this to it or, you know, bring some new scenario or whatever. Was there a specific title that, that caught your attention like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say there were two titles that were sort of the inspiration for my first design, which was Forge War, which, yeah, I wouldn't say it's just like a a retinkering of, of another design, but it was definitely inspired by uh, Sulkin, first of all. Um, you know, just the, the central mechanic of, of placing these workers and then sort of waiting for them to move around this wheel um, to, to get the rewards for those workers, I thought was really interesting. Just the whole aspect of, like, a, a time-resolved mechanism, you know, where you're not only managing your actions, but you're managing 
you know, when exactly you're taking those actions and the longer you wait, the better they are. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting uh, mechanic that I tried to, uh, I mean, it's, it's very different in Forge War, but the whole idea of, of, you know, taking these quests and you just sort of have to wait and like sit on them for a while and then they get progressively harder and harder. Um, but then the rewards become better and better, uh, was sort of, uh, inspired by that. And then the other game that I played that I was really inspired by was Trajan, um, you know, by Stefan Felds, uh, which is, you know, my favorite Feld game by, by far. Some people don't like it. Some people really love it. I'm one of the people who really love it. Um, are you a Stefan Felds fanboy? Would you say? Oh no. Uh, really Trajan is the only of his games that I really like. I find most of them like too random. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, but uh, but yeah, Trajan. There's very little randomness, and um, yeah, it's just yeah. You have this sort of big, you know, expansive Euro game, but at the center of it is you've got this really interesting spatial puzzle going on with, you know, these the the Mancala thing where you're moving these these tokens around and you got to get the right colors and the right spaces to get the bonuses. Uh, and I really like the that idea of just incorporating this big spatial aspect into like this heavy euro game so that's another thing i really want to do incorporate into my first design which is how i came up with the whole mining mechanic in in forge war where you're sort of playing this abstract game on the side where you're moving these overseers around to collect resources cool okay um could i just ask you as well just um zooming out a little bit what was your job before becoming a full-time game designer and did that feed into uh, becoming a game designer in any way uh, yeah, so I used to uh, be a uh, graduate student uh, for the University of Purdue, which is, I'm, I'm still living here uh, near Purdue, because um, my wife works at Purdue now, or she has for a while. But anyway, um, yeah, so I was a grad student in physics, um, and I feel like there are definitely some synergies between like working in physics and, and board game design, just the whole concept of like problem solving and sort of looking at this this uh, system that you've made and sort of troubleshooting it and you know doing it over and over and seeing what works and what doesn't work uh, it's a lot like physics experimentation or at least a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, the, I mean there's lots of maths involved isn't there in, in in coming up with the mechanics and making sure that they work and tweaking and balancing yeah there can be a lot of math well especially in something like um like gloomhaven which you know the system has to be robust enough to last over like a 90 session campaign so um you want to set up the <laughs> mechanics in the first place so that they can handle um those changes and and uh, the, the way that you've done that is very elegant but we'll, we'll come to that in a second before we get to gloomhaven you obviously did your research to reach such a huge audience um but also with the earlier games forge war was very successful could you talk to us about that and how you came to kickstarter so prepared in the first instance and building your audience and, and bringing them with you sure uh yeah so forge war was just sort of a you know let's let's try this and and see if it works and i was probably working on it for like at least uh, a couple years before i brought it to kickstarter and yeah, I, I wouldn't say I went about it in in the best way. It was sort of, you know, I was just learning it as I go. And I was planning on bringing it to Kickstarter maybe like a year before I actually did. Um, and then I just kept realizing other things that I needed to do. You know, like, oh, I should probably like hire a graphic designer. So it's not just like, 
my graphic design, which is awful. Um, you know, you don't you don't necessarily like realize like how important graphic design is until you hire a real graphic designer and you're like, oh yeah, that looks ten times better. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so yeah, it's just like little things like that. You know, I just I just kept discovering like, oh, I need to do this before I put it on Kickstarter. Oh, I need to do this before I put it on Kickstarter. Um, and it's it's a good thing that I learned all those things, you know, before I actually put it on Kickstarter, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I need to, you know, get a bunch of reviewers to to look at it and, and make reviews because, um, you know, it's important to have like third party opinions uh, and stuff like that. Um, I would say like the main thing that helped me out was uh, Jamie Stegmeyer's Kickstarter blog. Uh, um, you know, the Kickstarter lessons are that when I discovered that. Uh, I think I was like researching, you know, like shipping and somehow I, I stumbled across his, his blog and was like, oh my God, this is, um, this is like a, a goldmine of, of just valuable information. And so I, you know, read through the whole thing and then realized, oh, these are, you know, 20 other things that I need to be doing that I haven't even thought about. Um, so that was definitely, definitely the, the biggest resource in, in preparing me for that initial Kickstarter launch. You mentioned there as well uh, having you know the importance of having like objective reviews and everything um, and you obviously have video reviews of your games do you have like favorite video reviewers that you watch specifically what made you choose the the guys that you went with i think you worked with um rado on yours is that correct yeah uh rado is definitely holds a, a special place in my heart uh he's a great guy and i love his videos and it was it was really just sort of happenstance that, um, you know, he ended up being interested in, in Forge War initially. Like I, um, you know, I, I put it up on Board Game Geek and he, he sort of, you know, is very active on Board Game Geek and just like looks at all the new stuff and um, puts a, puts everything into like lists of like what he wants to try. And so he put uh, Forge War just sort of randomly on this list of, you know, games that he's anticipating uh, for the for the new year, so I I saw that, and so I reached out to him and said, "Hey, do you want to? You know, I can send you a copy, and you know, maybe if if you're interested, you can you can shoot a video for it." And he said, "Sure," and I sent him a copy, and then um, it was like his favorite game of the year, which was crazy, and so that's just sort of um, you know kicked off the whole uh, huge successful Kickstarter campaign for that. Uh, so yeah, Rado is is definitely great. Um, at at this point. Uh, now, well, I, I've sort of recently discovered in the last year or so um, how great uh, John Gets Games is. Yes. Uh, I think he does, like, by far, like, the best just straight run-throughs of games. Uh, just the, like, he, he's so efficient uh, with his time. Um, you know, it's just like, I can sit down and watch for an hour. I can see, like, a full game being played and learn all the rules at the same time. He's, I think his, his editing work is amazing. And so, you know, I had the opportunity for uh, him to do a run through for, um, for Founders of Gloomhaven, which was on Kickstarter a while ago. And I really appreciated that as well. I think he does great work. I mean, all these, these people that you mentioned, it's, it's, it's quite a sort of um, close community, isn't it? You know, um, you mentioned obviously the video reviews that you work with as well. But um, with Jamie Stegmeyer, he, um, is obviously pioneering kind of legacy games with Charterstone now as well, um, and I think we were you listed as a consultant on Charterstone as well, Isaac. Did you work with Jamie on on that game, or did you just give him some tips or advice or something? Could you talk to us about that relationship there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always 
been well yeah uh, yeah i've been friends with jamie segmeyer for a while like pretty much yeah i messaged him i don't remember when i started messaging him but it was probably around the time of, of forge war and that whole kickstarter campaign just you know like asking for advice and um you know i've i've i go to uh geekway of the west every year which he attends and so you know i get to hang out with him a little bit there um yeah so he's a great guy and um yeah, very very friendly, very nice. Always always happy to, to give you advice on on whatever you need uh, help with. Uh, so yeah, he reached out to me while he was doing uh, t- testing for I think it was the during blind taste blind play testing for uh, Charterstone, and he sort of wanted me to you know just just run through the game with a group of my friends and and give him some feedback on it. So it was basically just like a weekend of work. I, I did that you know uh, played it. I don't remember how many times, maybe like eight or so, you know, basically went through like all he had of the campaign at that point and uh, offers him some feedback on it. Uh, so yeah, I, I haven't actually played it since then, so I'm not sure um, how different it is from what I what I played, but. <laughs> I actually played it through my family. It's um, it's a really, it's, it's a lovely family game and you know, the art's very cute. And um, so me and my wife played it with our little one, which was, uh, and it's, it's cool because once you've finished it, you can keep going back to it. It's, I guess you'd call it a green legacy. You know, it's basically, it's not one of the one and done yeah. type legacy games, which brings us to Gloomhaven, I guess, because Gloomhaven is also in that category where it is green legacy, right? You, you don't have to bin it after, you, after you've played it uh, like you do with games like Pandemic Legacy. Was that a, a sort of deliberate response? When I mean, when you were designing Gloomhaven, was it a deliberate response to games like Pandemic, where you do have to throw the game away? You know, did you have that in mind? Was that a, a big goal when you were making Gloomhaven that you wouldn't have to, and that you know it would be this continuing, like living, growing city that you're building? Like maybe it stems from you not wanting to kill your baby and have it thrown in the bin after you've played it. Um, <laughs> could you talk to us about that sort of design element of Gloomhaven? Yeah, sure. So it's. I, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't say it was like a conscious response to to Pandemic Legacy or anything like that. Okay. I mean, I I sort of, I, I don't know, I, I sort of feel even weird, like even at this point, like calling it a legacy game. Like there are certainly legacy aspects, but it's, I feel like, like when I was designing the game, I wasn't like, okay, let's let's make a legacy game. Yeah. You know, it was like, I, I wanted to make a, a campaign game, right? Where you're just, we have, you know, have your characters and you're running through these dungeons and the old games were, were campaign yeah. games you know even hero quest was a campaign game wasn't it back in the day and... oh yeah it was always intended to be something that you could just continually play like over and over you know so not necessarily i mean yeah you could go through the campaign but you could also just replay any scenario you want there was no reason that you you wouldn't be able to do that uh, and then sort of, you know, after that whole campaign aspect was developed, I started thinking about incorporating, you know, some different legacy aspects to sort of make the story and and sort of the exploration more meaningful and more exciting, you know, with the stickers on the map uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there, yeah, I didn't see any reason to sort of, you know, continue down that path and, and like destroy the whole game by the end of it like that didn't make any sense to me yeah no i, I agree and, and it's also such a beautiful game you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to chuck it in the bin afterwards um, <laughs> one of my son's favorite parts of it is when we get the map out and we've unlocked a new quest you know he gets to stick the sticker on he just loves yeah. the the maps and growing the world sort of thing and and it is and um it's it's very addictive in 
in that aspect of it, you know, unlocking new things, as as Charterstone is, you know, in these games where you're sort of developing a world as you go. Um, obviously, Gloomhaven's a very thematic game, but it's driven by Eurocentric mechanics, really. You know, there's it's, it's a dungeon crawler with no dice. So, I mean, what sort of... Did games like Trajan and Sulkin feed into that when you were being inspired by like the themes and the games that you wanted to use to create Gloomhaven? How, how did that come about? Or did you just think, you know, a dungeon call with no dice, that was like the high concept of it? <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't, I don't know. So, I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't say it was necessarily... Uh, a response to to euro games or you know like in, i mean it certainly was inspired by euro games but there's nothing like specifically that comes to mind I, I would say it was more of just a response to other dungeon crawlers right so i play like mice and mystics and 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 descent and uh you know games like that and i you know, i love those type of games just sort of the idea of, of just running around with a big sword and chopping <laughs> monsters in half and uh just having a good time like i you know, and you know the fantasy theme always always gets me. I love a good fantasy theme, uh, more agency, and you know for players to actually feel like you know success is is based on on more on their decisions and less on you know just randomness. Like uh, I didn't really see any reason for that not to be the case. So that's that's really what I wanted to do is just you know uh, take out. I mean, you can't take out all the randomness, but take out um, you know as much as you can and still make it exciting. Cause I mean, you know, at the end of the day, randomness still does provide that little, that little bit of excitement and also that little bit of the unknown that you need, you know, so you're, you're flipping over a card and you don't know whether you're going to do t- two damage or three damage or four damage, you, you know, you'll do something to it, but, um, but just that little bit of variance, uh, you know, just, just keeps things exciting, I would say. Absolutely. Which uh, is something I had to learn. Like, uh, the initial design, like, I didn't have those cards, and it was all just straight numbers. There was no randomness to it. Um, and, yeah, I, I felt like it was it was missing something. So a little bit of randomness is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- no, definitely. That, that is interesting that you say that. And I, I, I think one of the most elegant mechanics in Gloomhaven is that um, you know, if, if you do pull a card that's a miss or whatever, you know, or reduces your damage so that, in effect, um, normally in a dice rolling game, your, your turn would be wasted. But in Gloomhaven, you can still sort of um, stun the monster or go on to do one of the other effects on the cards, you know, that's like, um, it, that gives you that feeling that, okay, well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a wasted turn. I'm still actually working towards the goal here. Um, we, you mentioned Descent yeah. there. We played a game of Descent, um, second edition, and we worked our way all through the campaign. We got to the final showdown, the heroes versus the monsters. And um, everyone used up all their abilities. And then it just became a roll-off. And, it, you know, everyone is like, all oh, the heroes were on low health. or the, the big baddie was on low health. And the whole final battle just became this take it in turns to roll the dice and see who gets the least misses. You know, and then... And that's how it ended, yeah. and yeah. and it suddenly it, it it brought all the drama and all the narrative and all the storytelling to this crashing halt as we all just waited to see who rolled less, you know, and there was nothing that anybody could do about it. <laughs> so um, it it is great that you know Gloomhaven kicks back against that. Oh no, yeah, I feel like yeah, that, that's that's really like the worst feeling you can have in Descent is when you roll that miss, and it's like 
I can understand. Like it needs it needs to be there because you need that tension. Like that tension is interesting, but at the same time, you know, the downside of that tension is like, oh, I've just done something. I've just wasted my entire turn, and I, I wanted to at least avoid that somewhat in Gloomhaven. So there's still that element of yeah, you can miss and not do any damage, but but you can still do something. Like you know, any effects that you're applying still get applied, and I felt like that was a good sort of balance between those two things. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense thematically. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I missed, but I still stunned him somehow. But it, I feel like, I don't know, it was, to me, it was it was the right call to 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 um, make that just a little less punishing. Like you say, it's, it's giving the player agency back to the players of the game, you know, and, and making them feel like they're having an impact and effect. There's... There's nothing worse, I think, in a board game than having like a miss a turn, effectively, you know, which which right. those dice rolling games can sometimes provide you with that feeling. Like, especially if, you know, if you've got four or five people sat around a table, you're waiting for your turn to come around, it's finally your turn, you roll the dice, you miss, okay, and, and the play carries on and you're like, well, you know, and then <laughs> yeah, you're the talking worst. about 20, 30 minutes of downtime of doing nothing. So, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's, it's very clever, Isaac. You've done a good job there. Um, going <laughs> back to what you said about the, you know, the fantasy theme and how you enjoy fantasy themes and everything, um, it does seem with the sort of narrative aspects of the game, you, you've stepped away from like the tropes, the fantasy tropes. There's nary a, a, a dwarf or an orc or an elf inside in Gloomhaven. It's all new character races and stuff. Unless <laughs> maybe I've just not unlocked them yet. Maybe there's like a load of orcs towards the end of the game. But could you tell us um, more about your reasons? <laughs> behind um you know coming up with all these new uh, interesting characters like the savas and the inox and you know these these ones that are variations or you know or reimaginings of of the fantasy tropes yeah so um i don't know i you know i i wanted to you know make a dungeon crawl i wanted to sort of give it a, a fantasy theme um but then i you know thought about you know doing orcs and goblins and and stuff like that and i think that yeah, those were actually in the first iteration when I was just sort of designing the mechanics and I needed some some placeholder stuff. So it's like, yeah, well, you're fighting against orcs. Why not? Um, but, you know, at some point when I, you know, when I sat down and decided, you know, this was going to be a big campaign and I wanted to build a whole world um, that it could reside in, um, I didn't see a reason not to just, you know, make, make my own world. Um, I, I've always, uh, whenever I... Uh, get a chance to like DM like a Dungeons and Dragons group, you know. I never, I never go with like the stock, the stock themes or the this, you know, the the pre-written adventures. You know, I'm always trying to come up with my own stuff and build my own worlds. Um, you know, so my my players have never like visited Waterdeep. Like they have no idea what Waterdeep is. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's like I make my own cities, and I, you know, and I, I find that to be just a, a really fun part of the creative process. So when it came to designing a world for Gloomhaven, I didn't see any reason, um, you know, that like J.R.R. Tolkien should have all the fun. Like I, you know, I want to have some fun <laughs> too and make fun. my own make my own world. So that's what I did. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. That um, I've, I've not played role playing games for a long time, but I used to love them as a teenager and always used like the Forgotten Realms types of modules, but I always set them in a world that I'd create, you know, and it would have different gods and, and whatever. Do you do you have like an active role-playing yeah. group? Are you yeah. still, do you still play D&D and that kind of thing? How does that fit in with board games? Are you more of a board gamer or more of a role-player, would you say? 
Oh, I'm yeah, I'm definitely more of a board gamer. I yeah, I haven't actually played in a in a role playing group in, in a while. Like I just find I I don't have the time anymore. Um, or or really the the group around here. I mean, the the group I did have sort of uh, you know fell apart after a while, and and that's really one of the things that sort of motivated me towards starting to design board games. Like I don't think I really started designing in earnest until after that group fell apart. You know, it was just sort of, uh, you know, I just have, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess I call it like creative energy, you know, where you want to sort of put it towards something. And so for a while I was just making, you know, uh, adventures for, for a role-playing group. And, you know, after that ended, I wanted to, to do something else with it. And also you sort of, yeah, anyway, so yeah, I probably... At least since I've been, des- I don't remember when we stopped playing, but it's at least been since I started designing Gloomhaven, which was, you know, three or four years ago. I can't remember now. Three or four years. <laughs> I, de- I mean, <laughs> I'm only saying that because it seems uh, like um, it seems like it would have taken longer, <laughs> you know, to finish a to, <laughs> to, to finish a game of uh, like a campaign of Gloomhaven requires playing through. Um, like many many sessions there's over 90 quests in in the book and a lot of those you'll replay so i mean how do you even go about starting the process of playtesting a game of that scale you know um, (laughs) it seems like a sort of i mean playing it from a player's point of view it feels like you've been designing it for 10 years or something to, to get it to that sort of level of balance and stuff uh, the, the scale of it is massive i mean does your background in, in yeah. physics and mathematics feed into that <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I think uh, about, it was about three years ago when I, I graduated from the PhD program uh, at Purdue and started working basically full time on, on designing Gloomhaven. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been a, a relatively short time considering like how big the game is, but it, it really was like a full time job, like a, or more than a full time job, really, you know, just sitting there designing like all day for, you know, two years essentially uh before it actually came out uh and uh and then i mean i'd i'd done some work on the design before that like it might have been you know four and a half years ago that like the original concepts was you know seeded uh but anyway yeah it was really the last three years that i've been working on it full time uh and yeah as far as like playtesting i i don't know i i guess the, I think the most important aspect was just designing a system that that could be expanded upon with as little effort as possible. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I there, there's like a, a metric behind the whole thing, you know, with these scenarios and, and, you know, each monster has a value. And so you put a certain amount of value, um, you know, down on the board and then that should you know, in theory, you know, give uh, a balanced, a balanced uh, fight or a balanced scenario, um, just based on the amount of cards that the players have and, you know, how much damage and how much movement that they can do in a, in a given scenario. Um, so, you know, you sort of are able to start with sort of a basic idea or, you know, a basic structure for any scenario of like how much, how many monsters should be good. And then you play test it a couple times and, and, and do some tweaking and, then yeah and then it feels right and then so yeah i mean each scenario yeah you don't have to you know play test it like 10 times to get 
every single scenario right like yeah yeah i can usually just go with like a, a few a few play tests and and that's good um so it allowed me to yeah produce scenarios faster uh than than one might expect uh and then you know there was a lot of balancing of the character classes as well um but yeah i mean that's i don't know it's it's sort of weird I, it's kind <laughs> of it's a <laughs> It's honestly like a little surprising, like how well balanced it turned out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah, I because really a lot of it just came down to what what felt right. You know, it's like you design these characters and you give them all these crazy abilities, but there's sort of like some of the base classes, like the brute and you know the tinkerer and stuff, where they're sort of more more vanilla, and you just use them as a comparison. So like, okay, does this does this ability like feel more powerful, or less powerful than just doing like a basic brute, brute ability? Um, and you just sort of, yeah, do various comparisons between the classes and play different groups of them together, and um, yeah, just just do what do what feels right. And there's there's obviously numbers behind the whole thing, and so you can balance the numbers. But you know, with all the characters getting so many different, uh, just out there weird abilities that are kind of hard to compare you just have to go with what what feels right and i think it it being a cooperative game helps a little bit because like the characters don't need to be like exactly balanced right i mean because you're not taking the brute and fighting the scoundrel with the brute and needing a fair fight between those two um you support so there could be like a little right yeah there could be a little bit of variance in in the in any individual class i mean because it's it's impossible i mean if i were to balance it for for player versus player the class would be totally different because that's even that's a completely different thing but anyway yeah i don't know i'm going off on a tangent but anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating tangent Isaac, especially what you're saying about the balance there because if you win it feels like you win by the skin of your teeth and if you lose it feels like if you just had another you know a couple of turns you could have made it kind of thing so in that respect, it yeah. is. It's. It always seems to come down to the wire, and you know the fact that the that you spent these years working on it shows that that's paid off. I think when you're designing games, do you have like a preferred specific mechanic that you're interested in? Um, what most excites you about games as a player? Well, those are two different questions. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's go with the preferred type of mechanic first. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Okay. So for like for designing games. I, I don't really have a, a preferred mechanic. I mean, sometimes at so, at some points, like I I feel like I lean on worker placement a bit, but then usually by the end of the design process, like I I sort of have figured out a way to remove it. Uh, for it's so like for Founders of Gloomhaven, for a long time that was a worker placement game. Yeah. And in the end of the day, it's not a worker placement game at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but really, uh, for me, like when I design games, I just try to uh there there's usually just something that inspires me and it's not necessarily a mechanic it might just be more of like a, an idea or i mean so for forge war it was just sort of it was really just those those two things of of like the spatial reasoning aspect combined with some like time resolution euro and that's really what i wanted to like try and do i wanted to try and combine those things and make an interesting game and that's sort of where it came from it wasn't a specific mechanic really and then with Gloomhaven, it was just, yeah, I want to design a dungeon crawl that I want to play. And so it was really just the the concept of, of dungeon crawling and, and riffing on that. Um, and then for Founders of Gloomhaven, um, 
uh, it was really this idea of, of like logistics and sort of, um, you know, taking something and turning it into something else and then, you know, uh, delivering it, but, but in a, a sort of more spatial way that required, you know, like roots and, and, and logistical elements, as opposed to, you know, some, um, like worker placement game, you know, where you're just taking wood and turning it into lumber and it's all just like actions on a board or something. You know, I wanted to have like a city building logistical game where you're actually physically taking these resources and, and turning them into different things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That was a long winded explanation too, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so basically it's just like, I, I'd sort of latch on to, to concepts, I would say more than, more than mechanics and then just try and see what, you know, what, what mechanics fit those, those concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to answer your other question. What most excites you about games as a player? Right. Mechanics are, are games that excite me as a player. Really just, I like, I like uh, formulating plans, I would say. Like, uh, you know, a, a game that allows you to sort of sit down and sort of look at the mechanics, whatever they are, and sort of come up with uh, a plan of like, okay, the first round I'm going to sort of focus on this to get this done, and then that'll lead me into this, and then I can do that, and sort of, you know, rake up a lot of points by sort of doing all that together. Um, uh is just is is really what I what I love. So any game that lets me make a plan and then sort of execute that plan uh, is is going to be is going to be good with me. So uh, Terra Mystica is is my favorite game just because I think it's a, it's a great game that allows for sort of planning in that respect. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. Like before two thousand five, I think all of the games that I played, I assumed were. Um, roll dice, move pieces, you know, fight baddies kind of thing. And then um, ended up playing Agricola um, only because it was like the number one game of mm. all time on Board Game Geek. And I was like, oh, it's medieval farming. I've got no interest in this, but I'm going to give it a try because everybody else says it's amazing. <laughs> you know, there's got to be something interesting there. And, you know, sure enough, played this worker placement game. And I was like, wow, it's so it's so fair, you know, like Euro games have, uh, <laughs> like Euro mechanics and, and worker placement is just, it's fair, you know, you, you have this, uh, you just, you do an action, you just do it, you don't have to roll for it, you don't have to, you know, it's not down to chance kind of thing. And so this sort of combination of these things coming together, I mean, it has led to games like Eclipse. Eclipse is one of my favourite games where you've got kind of... Um, action choosing actions basically but then you've got all the dice rolling to resolve them afterwards and it's sort of like the combination of the two it's and um, i think we're just we're really lucky to be in a situation now where we can pick and choose from all these brilliant mechanics that other people have devised and uh, you know and, and go oh, from yeah. there to, to develop new things so let's talk about a design as you mentioned stefan felt earlier um, but you, you said he's not one of your favorite designers who are your favorite game designers who inspires you <laughs> Uh well uh Vaja Shavatol um is is a uh, I I love he's his a work. genius I mean I he's he's a genius he 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 really is um I'm not a big fan of Space Alerts but pretty much every other game <laughs> <laughs> um but but yeah just I mean, he he inspires me just his like just the various different games that he makes you know each game is is completely different from every other game that he's made and i just find that diversity to his his catalog to be uh really inspiring because i i sort of uh you know am interested in doing the same thing like i don't want to just you know make the same game over and over 
Um, I, I, yeah, I really want to, you know, just the, you know, the idea of sort of latching onto a concept and then seeing what works, I think is, um, is, is, is really inspired by, by his work as well. Cause I, I feel like he does the same thing. Like I, I feel like he sort of focuses on like the thematic aspect of the game first and sort of see where that takes him in terms of mechanics. Yeah. Um, and it leads him to all sorts of interesting, crazy places. So I really like that. And uh, Uwe Rosenberg, even though he does kind of make the same game over and over, I really love the game that he makes. Um, Agricola, you know, is um, is a great game for planning. Uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorites as well. Um, and so I, I have to respect that design. It's uh, Yeah, it's interesting that you mention um, Vlada. He's definitely my sort of hero <laughs> in, in board games designs. He's like uh, he's a bit like the Stanley Kubrick of yeah. board game design in that he takes a, a genre <laughs> yeah. and just masters it and moves on to the next one sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great time to be inspired by these guys and, and see what they're doing. And I think it's very interesting what you said about, from your point of view, wanting to design a different game each time. You know, I suppose maybe a simple thing to do not a simple thing. That's the that's the wrong word. But a, an easy thing to do would be to recreate a game that you've already done and just you know reskin it kind of thing, like um, maybe like a science fiction Gloomhaven. You know, and and sort of just rely on something that you've already <laughs> built and and just and just fall into a comfort zone. But I think from a designer's point of view, I guess the appeal is to be creative. You know, and dip into new challenges, new themes, and new ideas. And I think that's the thing that keeps you coming back i guess for uh yeah for more <laughs> yeah and you know i mean obviously i'd be insane to never make another uh you know gloomhaven game um because it's just it's been so popular and and you know so i'm, I'm definitely working on that you know working on expansions and whatnot but um you know right after i made gloomhaven like i wanted I uh, sort of switched over to, to Founders of Gloomhaven, which is a completely different game. Yeah. Uh, and that I think that's sort of my plan going forward is sort of, you know, making an expansion to Gloomhaven and then just switching gears and doing something completely different and then maybe going back to Gloomhaven and, you know, just making sure that I, yeah, I uh, I am able to, to work on projects other than, than just uh, more Gloomhaven scenarios. Yeah. And um, keep the creative juices yeah. flowing in, in different directions. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's like the movie directors who will make like a, a big blockbuster movie just to just to you know keep the bills paid and then go back to to make some some artsy indie film that that they really wanted to make. That's it. One one for the studio <laughs> and one for you. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> cool. So so there's going to be a Gloomhaven two almost certainly then and uh so what what would you imagine that comprising would it be another city in the same world or would it be a return to gloomhaven i mean maybe you probably you might not want to tell us anything about this but is there any tidbits you could give us about that <laughs> no yeah it'll be in a different part of the world and yeah so it'll be a completely new campaign yeah just set in a different part of the world um yeah um, yeah, with new monsters and new characters and new everything, it'll it'll be a big whole whole big thing. Ideally, like on the same uh, scale in terms of content as Gloomhaven, but hopefully not as big of a box. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> How would you be able to logistically solve that? Because like Gloomhaven, obviously, is an enormous box, but you need you need that space to fit everything in it. There's so much stuff in there. <laughs> Well, it'll it'll be like a, an expansion, so it won't be like a standalone game. So it'll reuse a lot of the components oh, okay. from Gloomhaven. So, yeah. 
we won't have to to print them again. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I was going to ask you about marketing, but I, I mean, did you even have to market Gloomhaven? Like, especially with the second print run, <laughs> how did how do you go about marketing yeah, your I'm, games? I, I'm not I'm not an expert marketer. I don't really know much about marketing. I mean, I think my you know the the Kickstarter campaigns I've had have been a success, more or less. Uh, independent of of my own ability to market, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I really just sort of rely on the on the uh, success of the game and just sort of the word of mouth. Um, and you know, it's number one on Board Game Geek now. So so yeah, I, I sort of got lucky in that respect where. It's, it's sort of the marketing has a life of its own <laughs> <laughs> yes number one on board game geek number one game of all time congratulations for that isaac it's an incredible achievement and it's it stayed in the hotness since it landed really it's um continually discussed yeah game, it's been like a, is... a year now that's been on top of the hotness it's, it's you know insane. it's a hot game when <laughs> and it helps that of course people are posting these great <laughs> session reports and reviews because i mean there's so much content to discuss with Gloomhaven, you know, you might have played it for 20 hours and then you unlock a new character and then all of a sudden it's a, it's a whole pitch shift and you're playing a different game entirely. But <laughs> to, to come back to uh, Kickstarter just for a little bit there, so with huge companies like uh, Come On, they continue to use Kickstarter to fund their games and then you've got people like Jamie Stegmaier who's um, moving away from crowdfunding now to go to straight to retail. Where would you stand on that issue? Would you continue to use Kickstarter as a platform for all your games or what are the pitfalls perhaps of using Kickstarter do you think? Yeah so it's an interesting subject there are definitely uh, pros and cons to to both to both routes and at this point uh, I'm sort of in the middle and I'm just gonna play it by ear uh, going forward in terms of of whether I use uh, Kickstarter or not so uh, first of all like uh, Kickstarter is great, and uh, the I'd, I'd say the main well, I mean there are a couple of big advantages to Kickstarter. One of them is just sort of the the ability to to build a community around a game before it's actually developed, right? So you get people really invested in in the project and sort of talking about the project. And I think it's just uh, yeah, I mean that's it's great for for marketing and and. More than that, it's great for the game. Like you have all these excited people, they can help you play test if you have any you know changes that you're making at the last minute, or just uh, or they're just open to to giving you suggestions about how to make the game better. And I mean, uh, every single one of my my projects uh, has been just helped tremendously by uh, by the the backers, just in in terms of their feedback and and you know telling me what what they like or what what they think could be done better. Um, you know, so, I mean, even in, in Founders of Gloomhaven, um, there was somebody, you know, we sort of have like this, this resource tech tree almost. And, um, you know, we had this sort of reference card that sort of gave all the various combinations of resources that you can make to make better ones. And, you know, somebody came and came along and said, well, this could be done a lot better. And he sort of redesigned it all to make it, everything just look more intuitive. And so you could get a lot more information at a glance and, you know, that was great. Like we took that and we put it in the game because um, it was great. So, I mean, just things like that about Kickstarter, uh, you, you can't really get anywhere else. I mean, just because 
you know, you've got people pre-ordering the game, but then there's also just this community aspect to it where they can make comments or you can, you can even like share videos and, and you know, you write updates and it's just a whole big community building thing. That's absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Uh, and then the other upside to Kickstarter is, uh, I mean, just, just monetary. I mean, I'm, you know, there's no reason to, to skirt around it. I mean, you, you know, when you're selling into distribution, you know, you're selling at like 40% of MSRP. Um, and when you're selling directly to the customer, uh, maybe it's not like a hundred percent of MSRP cause you want to give them some discount, but maybe it's like, uh, 75 or 80% of MSRP. So, but that's still like twice as much money, <laughs> which, uh, is huge. It's, it's huge. Uh, it, that cannot be understated. Um, that's, you know, if, if you want to make the most possible money selling board games, like you're going to go to Kickstarter because you, that's just the way it is. You can sell directly to the consumer. Um, so, but I mean, on the other side of it is just the, I would say the main downside to Kickstarter. Uh, well, the two main downsides. So the first one I would say is just time investment. You know, I mean, for that month that you're running the Kickstarter. No sleep. It's, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's all you're doing that month is, is you know, interacting with people, you know, answering their questions, just updating the page constantly and, and you know, doing everything. It's a full-time job for a month. Yeah. Um, which is uh, bad enough. And then, <laughs> uh, and then even after it ends, um, you know, if you want to at least, you know, um, run a successful Kickstarter, like that doesn't just end when the Kickstarter ends. Like you need to constantly update your backers and then eventually you get into fulfillment where, you know, for for the latest Gloomhaven Kickstarter, which was, uh, what, back in April, like eight months ago, nine months ago, um, you know, that's finally getting fulfilled, which, you know, it took forever to get fulfilled. And that's a whole other issue. But just for those last nine months, like, I feel like it's just been like this giant weight, like it's taken up, you know, a significant portion of, of every day of my life for the last nine months, you know, just constantly being in communication with people, you know, you have constantly people emailing you, asking you where the stuff is. Uh, and you know, you've got to be respectful and, and respond to them. Yeah. It's a uh, huge undertaking. Yeah. And at the end of the day, sorry, what? Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to flow. I was just saying <laughs> it is, it's a huge undertaking having to stay on top of every single email and every single backers request and everything. Uh, but I was interrupting your flow there. You were going yeah. at the end of the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I was, I was in the middle of a rant. Uh, <laughs> Right. So at the end of the day, for uh, for like for my Gloomhaven Kickstarter, you've got like forty thousand people, or maybe it was less than that, but it ended up being like about forty thousand products that you've got to get into those people's hands. Like you've got to organize forty thousand copies of this game to go all over the world and into everyone in everyone's individual hand. And there's going to be mistakes. I mean, obviously, you know, you have fulfillment companies for that, but fulfillment companies are going to make mistakes. And, you know, so even a small percentage of that who of those people who there's some mistake, they don't get their game. Now you've got to figure out what went wrong and and solve the problem and make sure that they do get your game. So even if you're talking about like, you know, even two or three percent, which is very generous, um, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, like eight hundred thousand people um, that now you've got to like personally figure out what what the problem is. And it's just it takes so much time. And, you know, I'm sort of in the middle of it right now and I've had to like, you know, hire help um, to just to 
just to solve those problems. And so, yeah, I, anyway, I, I've, I've been ranting for a long time, but basically just the time investment of a Kickstarter versus like the time investment of selling in a distribution where it's like, okay, I organize one freight shipment and it's done and I don't have to worry about it anymore. And so it's just infinitely more time. Yeah. And the other thing is that, sorry, I'm going to rant a little bit more, <laughs> is just the idea, and this this is becoming like less of a problem now, but there still is a stigma of like, it's a Kickstarter game, right? And I'm, I'm sure you've encountered this as well, you yeah. know, where it's people just write it off, write the game <laughs> off because it was on Kickstarter. Yeah, it has to be in retail yeah. first. Yeah, it's just, it's just Kickstarter fanboys. Like the reason it's number one on BGG is just because Kickstarter fanboys keep writing it a 10 without even playing it. Like <laughs> this, that's what you're, you're battling. Like it's, it's like, no, it's, it's actually a good game. Like you should try it out. Like don't, just because it's on Kickstarter doesn't mean that it's like some subpar um, you know, lower echelon of, of game as opposed to anything that like Asmodee puts out. You know, it's um, so you, you have to you have to battle that stigma, and that's still like a real thing. Yeah, like people. Some people just refuse to touch Kickstarter games, and it's just it's weird. So anyway, those are the upsides and downsides of of Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, and I've seen you know I've seen comments from people who were like, oh, it's it's Kickstarter, so um, I won't even try it. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, or it's overhyped. It's too, it's too much hype, so I'm not going to play it. And it's like, that's crazy. You, you're missing out on an amazing game because people are talking about it. You know, yeah. If they didn't talk about it, you wouldn't know about it. So you know, it's an interesting dichotomy, and I think you very eloquently covered the uh, advantages and disadvantages of Kickstarter there. So if there's any first-time designers or publishers <laughs> listening, you've got a, a, a great overview from someone with lots of experience there. And, uh, and I enjoy your rants, Isaac. I've got to learn not to interrupt them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, so so like I said, like I'm sort of in the middle of of the argument, and I mean, I I, I don't know what I'm going to do like for the next big thing that I've I've got coming. You know, I don't know whether I'm going to put it on Kickstarter or just go into distribution. So I'm still undecided on on which is better. Well, we look forward to finding out which <laughs> where you end up, and I'm sure you'll have <laughs> success either way. In fact, you've mentioned obviously there's a you know the Gloomhaven sequel. Uh, in in the offing and founders of Gloomhaven's on its way or go into manufacturing or um, where, where you're up to with founders at the moment? Uh, yeah, we are starting manufacturing. Like we just went through all the proofs and got those changes uh, sent off. So yeah, manufacturing should be starting pretty soon. Unfortunately, Chinese New Year is also starting pretty soon. So uh, looking at probably probably like April for, for fulfillment, like late April. Cool. Okay. And so from your point of view, once you submit all the files to the printers, there's nothing else you can do with it really, right? It's the, it's in the hands of the gods from that point on, from the point where they're manufacturing <laughs> it and then, you know, they're going to ship a copy to you. And up until that point, you know, you're, you basically got time on your hands apart from dealing with all of these emails and everything. Hopefully this is going to unlock some uh, Isaac downtime to get on with more game designing and stuff. So how... What's your process? Do you work on multiple games at once or do you fix yourself on a project and just batter through it until it's complete? Or do you have lots of different reference books open at the same time? What's your what's your process for designing the next project or projects? I, I'm most productive when I can just focus on a single project. Uh, and I think that's true for, for most people. You know, you've got the whole psychological element of like the more you're interrupted 
you're doing something like you know it takes so much time to to like get back to where you were mentally in terms of like focusing on a project um uh yeah so like if i could just work on a single project i think that'd be better like if i could just you know close my doors from the world and and you know work on this this gloomhaven expansion that i'm working on for the next you know six months i could probably uh you know have something like reasonably complete by the but when i emerged but unfortunately life is is not that way yeah and i uh you know we've got other obligations and running a company and uh and i am working on multiple projects at this point um sort of uh I don't know. I I I got roped into some projects that uh, I'm very excited to work on, and you know that's why I decided to do them. But at the same time, it's like, oh, now I've got to do you know all these different things, and I can't just work on this thing that I want to work on. I've also got to work on these other things that I want to work on. Um, but then you've got to split your attention between them, and yeah, it's a it's a difficult process. I'm still trying to sort of figure it all out. Uh, but yeah, ideally I'd work on one thing, but what I'm doing now is working on lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know the feeling. I think it, as long as, um, it, as long as it's just me running the Kickstarter stuff, it's, it's very difficult to sort of get focused on the creative design stuff because that gets sidelined. So if right. you can bring in help and you get more people involved, you know, to alleviate the load a little bit, um, then you know, it frees up time to, to be creative. So my goal for this year is to um, to get someone to take over the administrative and logistical side of things for me so that I can just get back to um, yeah. doing the creative stuff, which is what's the most interesting bit. You know, it sounds like you're in a similar position. You find yourself running a business and um, yeah. and you've got your business head on and you're like, well, you know, I want to be making cool games and stuff. And that's, you know, that's not answering a thousand emails or dealing with um, yeah. administrative yep. processes, is it? Similar boat. Well, I hope you get the time, <laughs> Isaac, to sit down and, and really uh, really batter through uh, Gloomhaven 2 or wh- whatever it's going to be called. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. And hopefully we'll get to speak to you again when the next project launches. Yeah. I was more than happy to come on and talk to you. Um, you know, we only talked briefly at Essen. And it was great talking to you some more. So uh, thanks for that. <laughs>